Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Welcome to Pacific Beer Chat. Uh, Mike from Mike's Craft Beer. We got Terry from West Coast Beer Geek. Steve from Mike's Craft Beer. Got Chelsea from Brutiful BC. Carnell from Breward Inlet. And we've got Mike from the Beer Raider. We've also got a special guest today. Uh, we've got Paul, and I'll let him introduce himself here. Uh, hey, my name's Paul Pine, uh, uh, certified Cicerone uh, since 2015. Just uh, been working in the industry for a few years, uh, currently doing uh, beer sales for Bomber Brewing, and uh, also have uh, uh, drinksmarter.ca, which is a hospitality outlet trainings uh, company, as well as uh, just general tasting. So basically, you're really busy. <laughs> uh, yes. All right, perfect. Well, I think today we're going to talk a little bit about beer education in general. Um, if uh, Paul, could you just tell us what a Cicerone is quickly? Um, I guess in the industry standard, it's the equivalent to a sommelier with wine. Um, as the the closest I can relate it to, it really just stems to an old uh, uh, title that is somebody who is trained in a specific uh, entity and is able to you know, train other people and teach other people those things as well. It uh, comes from the word to be basically a tour guide and to tour people around and uh, show them what's what. Awesome. Um, Chelsea, did you want to start off? I think you had a good starting point. Do you remember? I have, sorry, I had to figure out how to unmute. Um, yeah, so I was I was just wondering because, um, you know, we hear a little bit about Cicerone, we hear a little bit about um, people who have the beer judging certification. Can you tell me how those two things are different? Um, yeah, so the beer judge certification is uh, a separate a separate uh, entity that, you know, has the, has a say in the style guidelines as well as the, a, the AHA, the American Homebrewers Association. Those two organizations are the ones who sort of depict what styles are styles. Um, hence the recent changes in 2015 that brought upon, um, you know, this this plethora of new styles and stuff to uh, the beer categories. So they are trained in a different facet. It's just a different, a different way of getting the uh, education. And how does the training differ for you versus them? Um, I have not really done the BC, BJCP training, so I can't really say on that side of things. Uh, it's definitely more style deri derivative uh, and and recipe based and things of that nature, whereas the Cicerone is more um, broad span of hi history and styles and things like that. Um, you know, I, I have helped judge in competitions uh, for the past couple of years. And, you know, because I don't have that certification, I do need to be paired up with the BJCP because essentially they know more about styles than I do specifically. Okay. Makes sense. I hope. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess a, a really simple one. I mean, we all as craft beer geeks know that serving temperature is really important. Anyone else want to kind of throw in their two cents about why it's so important for the broader audience? 
Sure. Um, is, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's really just a, a lot of styles are very dependent on that temperature. Just, um, you know, the classic example is I like to use is a, a, a nice big stout. Drink it, start it nice and cold, let it warm up as you drink it, and you can see yourself the difference that it makes. It softens up. The, the roasty characters, the chocolate will come a, a little more predominant, um, things like that. So it's definitely style dependent, but also very important. Yeah, yeah sure. if you ever get a chance, do a side-by-side, -side, like warm one up and then drink one right out of the fridge and compare them. I know in a couple of uh, bloggers' conferences and stuff like that, they've done those side-by-side -side comparisons, like the, the vendors there. And it's for some people, it's pretty mind-blowing. But it's funny, you know, most places serve beer too cold, um, certain, especially certain styles. I mean, not everything's supposed to be served warm. But, uh, you know, I'm just like wine. Most places serve wine too warm <laughs> in a lot of cases. Or no, red wine too warm and white wine too cold. So that's uh, my biggest beef is around you know, bars and restaurants. I wish uh, I started paying a little bit more attention to serving temperature for some of the, you know, some of the bigger stouts especially and some of the other beers that they have around. Because it's nice, you know, it's, it sucks to kind of sit there and wait for those, you know. If you know it's going to be too cold, you got to order something else to drink while while it's warming up, or or you do the the hand thing, you know, for twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah I mean it. It is that's, a little bit complicated. It's it's a challenge for the, the bars, especially when you're dealing with um, beer on tap, because generally you have one beer cooler at one temperature, and each beer requires you know a range of uh, proper temperatures. You're not going to have a separate cooler for each beer that's dialed into it, so you know that's just ridiculous in terms of for or restaurant setup, and so that's kind of why we're stuck with this one temperature. Now, I agree that different beer, it's good to have at different temperatures, but you kind of have to weigh your your costs at that point on you know how many nerds are going to complain about their beer being a couple degrees off versus people that are just generally going to be okay with it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I actually, I met up with the uh, guys from uh, Torchlight Brewing in Nelson today in Vancouver, and they were saying in their uh, new location that they're opening up soon, they're going to actually have two different coolers, one for most of their beers, and then they're going to have one that's only for nitro and used mostly for stouts. So they're actually actively mm -hmm. going out of their way to have two different temperature levels for their beer. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see more stuff like that. I mean, even just putting in the keg in a different zone of the of the cooler can help, right? Yeah. So but I, I get it. I get the challenges, right? And and restaurants probably a little bit too much to expect, but you know, a brewery or a very, very craft focused bar. I'd like to see a little bit more of that. Uh, just enhances the experience, right? So yeah, and I mean, it's, it could be as simple as something, um, just having a separate kegerator for that one beer. Oh, sure. um, so it is very doable, but for, you know, for restaurants, it's definitely more of a challenge. But yeah, a beer-centric place could definitely support that. Mm -hmm. You just build a pit, right? Make a hole into the ground and keep that beer there. Yeah. Keep it in the all the time. Yeah, why do we need a sitting room here when we got such gems like that out at Carnell? Dig a hole. Just dig a hole. Dig a hole. Put some stuff in the hole. Yeah. Stick Put the stones at the, the hole. top of the hole and then uh, loggers at the bottom? I don't know. That's right. That's right. <laughs> beer cave. That's yeah. So, 
I got I, to go with the questions. Ask the Cicerone. I got. I have a question for uh, Paul. Um, I've chatted to a couple Cicerones who, um, you know, after you've gone through the program, after you've gone through the tasting, you've developed your your palate and that. Um, some have said to a certain point it's ruined beer, not completely, but it, it's ruined their experience because they no longer can just go into a brewery or a bar or what have you and just enjoy the beer. You're now basically programmed to uh, analyze it, so to speak. So I don't know. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I, I, I definitely, there is truth in that for sure. Um, you know, that's why I chose out of, out of all of the levels of progression with the program to, I knew going into it, I didn't want to get any further than certified just because I didn't want to think of beer as that organic biochemistry molecular kind of yeast structure and look at it that way and just kind of, cause it's kind of gross when you look at it. If you ever looked at yeast under a microscope, it's not pretty. Um, so I just definitely knew that I just wanted to get more appreciation for it and more of an understanding for it more than anything. And, and uh, but even with that, yeah, there's times that, you know, oxidization for me is I can smell it from a mile away and, and it, and, you know, it does kind of ruin some beers for me when you get these off flavors that the, you know, a large percentage of people aren't going to be picking up. Um, it, it does kind of go, oh man, that sucks. I, it, it makes you feel like a snob when you don't want to be a snob. But right. uh, sometimes beer is just undrinkable. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, you know, and it's, there are some situations where had I not gone through the, the rigorous training and all the studying that I would never even have noticed it and I could have enjoyed that beer. But there's definitely right. that, that moment where you're like, uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, I think it's bad for us in general as bloggers. I used to. I don't anymore. Um, (laughs) At at, at first, I was like, oh, I'm wasting this beer. Um, But honestly, if if I'm not enjoying it, I'm not going to force myself to drink it. I got a lot more beer I can crack if I really want to have something. And I drink beer out of enjoyment, you know, and that's, that's my main focus. It's not to, to get drunk or to have a good time. It's, I, I really do appreciate the craft and I love um, the, 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 the results of these simple ingredients being put to use in different ways. Do, do you find uh, the opposite of that? Like when you see perfection, does it impress you more? Yes. Absolutely. Um, I do really appreciate a fantastic beer. You know, when, when I have those, I still, I still to this day have epiphany beers where I go, Oh, that's where it's at. That's what I'm looking for. Um, and it honestly can also ruin other beers. Cause you're like, you find that perfect, perfect IPA and you're like, all right, well, no other IPA is going to do now. <laughs> like fat time. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Funny, we did a blind tasting uh, a little while back, and that actually fared better than I figured it would. Compared up to uh, honestly, when I when I actually was first studying beer, I uh, I opened up uh, the Tap and Barrel in Coal Harbor, and before that was ready to open, I was working at the Olympic Village location, and I was like, all right, I got to try all these beers, these twenty four taps. I'm going to start on the left and work my way down the right as I go through. Fat Tug was the only seven ounce sample that I could not finish. It was the only one. And that put me off IPAs for a long time. Um, and then I did start getting into the IPAs, and now I, I absolutely love them. 
And I thought to myself, oh, I'll go back and visit Fat Tug. I still am, I get it, but I, it's too sweet for me. That's the only thing. I, I don't dislike, I love Driftwood as a brewery. I don't get the Fat Tug fascination. Makes sense. Should I have not said that? So uh, <laughs> just, we're uh, <laughs> open and honest here. So just a, a follow up and a little slightly off topic there, but you know, related to your training, how how long is the process typically for people to, you know, when you first say, hey, I want to do this, you know, and you you buy some books to study and some beers to study and, you know, do a lot of reading. That's from what I understand. How long is it a recommended uh, time frame for people to, you know, reasonably expect? Okay, I can start this today. You know, let's say they're starting as a, a beer fan, a craft beer fan, but they're not in the industry and stuff like that. What would you say is a typical time frame? Um, I think two years is a good number to casually saunter through a thousand beers and read the dozens of books that you're going to read. And uh, I think more than anything, you just really kind of have to actually have an appreciation and a passion for it. I think people who want to do it just because they want to do it, um, it's going to be a little more of a struggle. Um, but you can do it in, 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 in a shorter time frame, I'm sure. For myself, it was about two years. I, I did the training. I took the classes at Pico with Chester and, you know, went that route. Um, I don't really know anybody. I know a couple of people that got the exam on the first time and, you know, both the tasting and the written component. component. I was not one of those people. I did have to do it, uh, the written exam again. So it's it that also is a consideration as well with it. Um, and the exam is only offered in Vancouver twice a year, and that's only if there's enough participants to make it warranted. Right. Um, but you can travel down to Blaine. They do it often in Blaine and Seattle and stuff, too. I think it's going on in um, San Diego right now, today. That's I think so. upper level, though, I think. I don't know. <laughs> that I, might be I've the advanced, yeah. Yeah, I think I've been, I, know, I know a girl that's there right now from Ontario. Yeah, I've never met her, but I'm her Facebook friend, so, you know, that's just the same. So that kind of leads into the, the one of the questions I prepared, which was, exactly is Cicerone training for? I mean, uh, an industry aspect to it, and people, a career or a job, but is it for beer geeks, hobbyists? What What sort of level of commitment are we looking at for getting your thing some level of Cicerone training? I mean, for myself personally, I can only speak to my own experiences, of course, um, but uh, <laughs> I was hoping it was going to open a lot more doors than it probably didn't. Um, I think there's, you know, there's definitely still not a need for it. Like restaurants aren't hiring Cicerones like they are having sommeliers. They're not, you know, having that presence isn't really there. It has definitely helped me in my in, in in my quest to advance myself in the beer community absolutely um but i don't know if it's really it's it's not something that's going to be like okay well now there's a million doors open for you people are hiring cicerones left right and center it's really still quite one of those things where people oh you're a what what is that tell me more right so it's i don't know if we've gotten to that level quite yet okay yeah, so the food industry hasn't really embraced beer with the same sort of uh, 
debonair as wine, eh? <laughs> There's not that many rest, you know, high-end restaurants that that would have someone there that really knows their beer like they do at Sommelier. Yeah, I mean, or even hotels, right? Yeah, and there's a lot of really high-end restaurants that really don't even have beer taps. You know, they're know. more about wines and cocktails. So, um, garbage it, beer. And, what's that? And garbage beer. Or that, right? Yeah. But I think it's uh, people are starting to recognize it now. I think the the effect is there. It's starting to trickle down. the The concept of food and beer pairings is starting to roll through with people now. Um, you know the Whistler uh, the Whistler Beer Fest. They do that uh, Sommelier versus Cicerone luncheon every year, and Cicerone wins every time. You know, nice. beer just goes better with food. It's just a natural, natural thing. Yeah, I've noticed right. talking a little bit about it. Um, not to the Cicerone level, but they also have the certified what is it? Certified beer server. Server, yeah. Server and um, beer craft, I think, and. Maybe even St. Augustine's get most or all of their service to at least that level of training. And, yeah, and Big Rock as well. Do they? Okay. I think I think having having taken that course um, for when I was I was starting up with uh, Trading Post and their I think their initial goal was to have all the servers with the certified beer server. I don't believe that's where they are now. I don't know. Um, in terms of a base level of knowledge, I think. The uh, certified beer server is a good course. Um, I think any beer nerd could probably enter that exam and and pass, um, just out of general knowledge. Although there are some specific questions that that can throw you, um, but this is just my feeling. Between certified beer server and certified cicerone um, is a huge gap. Um, oh yeah. And I feel there's a need for um, something in there that, say, a hobbyist that really wants some kind of certification for some validation or whatever could go after without really having to commit to the full Cicerone um, certification. But that's just me thinking. I don't know no, know. but I think that's where the BJCP comes in. It's a really nice, you know, it's it's got that element to it that is more than just hobbyist, more than just intrigued or enthused it really shows dedication it really does show commitment and knowledge um and you know i'm i was looking to uh, do my bjcp just after i got my cicerone and i planned on doing it because it was they were just about to change the style guidelines were about to change and i had spent all that time um studying those styles and then they had just switched so i was Eventually, I'm eventually going to do it. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. I've uh, like I said, I've, I've done some judging with some BJCP, so I've earned points, I guess, in some sort of way that are being banked until I get some sort of certification with them, and then I can use those banked points to progress within the category as well. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. Hey. <sighs> <laughs> And I guess uh, speaking of other levels, uh, there's what two higher levels now for Cicerone. Yeah, so right. it was originally just the three: the certified beer server, certified Cicerone, and master Cicerone. Um, and like Mike uh, said, the the jump from certified beer server to certified Cicerone is is just massive. 
And the jump from certified Cicerone to master Cicerone is astronomical. Um, so they decided to add another level in between two and three, and it's called advanced Cicerone. So it's it's uh, a little bit more. It's more in to the side, you know, but not quite that ridiculous phase. But uh, still more than I think I'm willing to commit to. Cool, makes sense. Cool. On. Um, on on the lighter side. Do you feel that um, having a beard gives you legitimacy in your yes. Cicerone? Yes. I have, to, I have to grow it out a little bit just because, you know, I actually had a beard when I was getting into it, and so it just seemed natural. Great. Yeah. yeah. I, guess, I guess as a male Cicerone, anyway. Yeah. Sorry, well, I'll I mean, for it, come on, it's, it's 2017, guys. It's true. I, I felt ashamed to shave this morning, so. <laughs> okay, Steve. Um, I've got a I've got a question from Reddit. I put a question up in uh, in the beer um, section on Reddit. Ask a sister on anything you want. Uh oh. And, uh, the question number one nice. here is: uh, Do you think you're better than me? <laughs> um, <laughs> to that one person, sure. <laughs> Right, and then no one on Reddit would answer like that. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, the internet. It's probably what Carnell was doing. <laughs> that was Carnell's question. <laughs> that was me, yeah. Uh, no, I have a question, a real question. Uh, you guys may have uh, asked this when I was gone because it sounded like you were getting into this. But uh, um, we've talked before on this podcast and uh, more generally uh, about competitions, and it was interesting to hear you mention earlier that you were matched up with a BGC, BJCP um, for testing um, beers for competition. And uh, I wonder if you ever feel sort of frustrated by the guidelines. Uh, it seems like your training versus a BJCP judge is a little more just sort of understanding the flavors, what's going on. And I wonder how well that um, matches up against BJCP rules, if it ever frustrates you who ends up winning, or if you're on board with it? You know, uh, honestly, not really. It, like, so I, from all of my studying, I adhere to the same guidelines that they adhere to for styles. So mm -hmm. I'm, you know, in order for, we all work off the same style guidelines. Um, the BJCPs, you know, even with my, my certification, I'm not allowed to judge beer for these competitions on my own. I have to be partnered up with them because they're trained to style specificity, um, which is which is great. So I love doing that. I love working with other people and hearing their input. Um, for me, it was nice to know that you know being matched up with these people, doing judging the beers up, that we would often land within the same you know the five point spectrum that we're supposed to land with each other. Made me feel good knowing that okay, good. I can I can hang with these guys. I can look at the beer styles and I can appreciate it the same way they can. Um, judging is just weird in the sense that um, it's very difficult to categorize a beer, especially in the craft beer community, because a lot of brewers aren't making beers to the guideline styles, because who cares what the styles are? Who cares what the guidelines are? Let's make beer that's going to taste great. Let's, let's put this in it. Let's put that in it. Let's do this with this. Let's do that, which is why we all love craft beer. So when you have these competitions with craft beer, it's it's difficult to really 
box them. So it's more about where you actually place your beer than actually the style that it's supposed to be, which makes it for an interesting competition. Yeah, I guess I guess in that example, you know, like a cloudy IPA. You know, I mean, points for appearance should be zero, <laughs> just based on the style guideline, right? I don't know. That being said, oh, well. you know, those are pretty, those are trending pretty high right now, and people are loving them. Well, and that's yeah, just it. You know, when we look at the style guidelines from uh, before two thousand eight. Um, before the, you know, and leading from 2008 up into two, 2015, when they did change again, there was three, three IPA styles. There was English, American, and Imperial. That was it. And now you look at the 2015, I believe there's seven, including a specialty IPA category, which just means put whatever the hell you want in it and call it an IPA. Um, so... <laughs> You know, it's 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 kind of interesting that the 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 way everything's changed and and gone gone that way. So um, it's 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 nice to see the the competitions are changing and everybody's doing things in a different manner. Yeah, I find it a little frustrating sometimes that sometimes the beer best to style wins, whereas by far the most tasty beer that you have there can't win because it doesn't meet that style guideline. And I find that something about that needs to still change personally um you know the I, I think the biggest thing with the the competitions right now is and i'll be painfully honest is that uh there's not enough qualified people actually coming out to judge the beers hmm. there is a big shortage of qualified people coming to judge there's not a shortage of qualified people there are so many people out there who are qualified to come out and judge beers there's not enough people actually putting in the time to do it. And as the years progress, more and more breweries are coming into the fold, more and more beers are being submitted, and the workload is becoming almost unbearable. When you have a room full of 30 people judging 746 beers, mm. there's there's a time that you have to get through it, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, I know... It's interesting hearing you mention the distance around your guiding, and I know maybe pulling out this this idea of competition of beer too far, but it's something that really interests me. Um, as a Cicerone, as you were saying, your your job is sort of to guide people through beer, um, and maybe you're better qualified to do that. But I think I, I sometimes feel that uh, the competitions are being used as a guide for most people, right? And uh, I wonder if you feel like there's a responsibility there uh, to guide people. What's what's you know tastes well versus or tastes good versus um... yeah I, I I completely agree um, it's you know when it, when it comes to that the other the the, the groupings of the beers also um, get a little bit different you know sometimes beers that were entered in one category end up going in a different category because there wasn't enough beers for that one category to merit judging which. Again, I don't run the competitions. I don't put all of that stuff into place. I just try to help out where I can. Um, so it's it's just a matter of just progressing and growing with it and getting more people involved and having more hands on it. Right. Yeah. And I'll say there's, there's something to be said for uh, blind blind judging, you know, blind taste testing and you know tasting beers without knowing what they are. You know, when you when you remove that bias. Mm -hmm. um, you can create some some pretty surprising results that I think a lot of people. I'm I'm guilty of it. You know, you look at a 
judging results and you're like, really? That that one? But uh, you know, sometimes when you're when you're trying things and you don't know, you're not looking at the label, you're not carrying over any brand bias. It can be it can be a bit of a surprise. You know, yep. we were I know like I said, I've done a couple and the winner is always a bit of a shocker. You know, you, you know which ones are going to be kind of the top top five, but you know, sometimes there's there's ones that sneak in there and you're you kind of look back, you try it again, and you're like, yeah, no, this is actually pretty good. Yeah. Well, I know me and Chelsea are both judges at the uh, Festival in Penticton, and it can be really surprising sometimes which ones win in the end. A total shocker. Yeah, like um, an Okanagan Springs beer snuck into the top at some point. Was that last year or the year before? I can't remember. I can't remember. Do you remember, Mike? No, I can't remember. I remember reading the results and being like, what the, like, seriously, but I guess, you know, if it's, if it's a decent, um, middle of the road beer, sometimes extreme doesn't work well in judge, um, judging situations. You want something that's more within the style guidelines, which is good, but it's also a little bit sad because then the stuff that really stands out and is unusual, that's the stuff that doesn't really do well in judging situations. So, yeah, I think, I don't remember if you were there that year, the one year there was a real, uh, real argument over which two beers should win. And one was a fairly safe one, and one was a really, really smoky beer. And it was a battle for at least half an hour. Well, even last year when we were talking about um, Persephone Pale Ale ended up winning Best in Show, but it was such a hockey pale ale that people were going, you know, it doesn't fall within the style guidelines, but really, it's also a really delicious beer, right? So what what wins? You know, the fact that I really enjoy drinking that or the fact that it... it matches up with what it's supposed to be as a pale ale yeah Yeah. luckily we don't need bjcp to be part of that (laughs) yeah (laughs) although i was thinking about getting it this year just because um it's nice to have that um structure to be able to measure things against right but i I looked at i can do the online portion but the actual exam is like a lot of studying and i'd have to go to victoria and living rurally i can't do any of the study groups i'd have to drink a lot of beer by myself which i'm, I'm down to do but it just take me a long time right so yeah so maybe next year not this year <laughs> so i guess um maybe shifting gears a little if you guys are okay with that yeah um we're talking a lot about you know palates and tasting and that um i guess i'll start with paul but it's certainly interested in everybody else's opinion what are some you know other than the obvious to drink beer what are some of the ways that you've kind of trained your palate a little bit more to pick up flavors and what are some of the things you can do to uh you know just improve your overall ability to pick out different flavors and that yeah i mean for me the the biggest revelation that i had when i was you know getting into it was um reading a book i think by randy Mosher, the tasting beer right of course everybody's read it it's it's the bible it's i still use it as a resource but there's a line in there when he starts talking about when you actually are trying to sense aroma and using that that link to memory with your aroma and rather than trying to smell the beer and go what is this i'm smelling let your mind take over and say where have i smelt this before and let that memory come back to you is it is it fresh grass is it is the cement after a rain is it um, pumpkin pie whatever it might be and that i find just really opened up the world for me because that's more how my brain i guess works so it was nice and uh and 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 great in that sense. Um, also, you know, when you're in a grocery store and you're in the produce aisle, pick things up and just smell them. You know, grab a, you know, go to the apples and smell different apples because it's one thing to say it smells like apples, but is it Granny Smith or is it, uh, you know, Pink Pink Ladies or whatever it might be? Um, and just 
just have fun with it and should, I, I mean, don't try too hard. Paul, if you could just say the name of that book and the author again for anyone listening out there that wants to. Oh, I, I literally always have it nearby. It's um, Tasting Beer by Randy Mosier. What, um, this guy right here. There we go. Boom. Pick it up at your local five and done. Yes. <laughs> I'll have to pick that up. I have not read that one. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you know, it's an interesting point about you know the the memory sensory and as well as just like smelling things in the grocery store, eating things. You know, have you have you had a passion fruit? Can you tell the difference between a, a fig, a, a date, a prune, and a raisin? <laughs> you know, they all taste a little bit different. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, that's one thing I find is just just trying things that you haven't tried before or, or you know if it, you know find a passion fruit and uh and have a passion fruit beer and you know have those at the same time and see if you can kind of pick out the you know really get hone in on that sensory experience so that when you know you know exactly what to look for you know in in that beer or or you know if you if you discover that flavor you've got that memory association with it so that's one thing uh i do a lot more I think I posted a picture of myself uh, smelling a horse blanket, an actual horse blanket. That was, it was kind of funny, but it, you know, at the same time, it really dialed it in for me because it's like, yeah, it smells like sweaty horse, but it also smells like, like hay and grass. Like <laughs> you get those two together and yeah, I know exactly what horse blanket is in beer now, <laughs> you know, and I can differentiate it from barnyard and basement and, you know, just some of those, uh, some of those experiences that you get that uh, you don't actually get out and do it. It can be uh, it can be a little bit more challenging. That's a really good idea. I have to do that. Just not the horse yep. blanket. Go around sniffing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I'll I'll just say I'll just say one more one more um, strategy I've had um, is if you're if you're tasting something in a beer and you just can't place it, um, one of the best things I find is just go into like Ray Beer um, or Beer Advocate. I find Ray Beer is a little bit better for this. And just start, you know, don't read the ratings, but just go through reviews and start looking for something that makes your brain go, holy shit, that's it. And the last one I had with that was uh, soot and leather. I just, I was tasting, you know, and it was a, it was a good leather taste, not a, not a oxidization leather. Um, although that can be good too. And it was just one of those ones where I, I was just stumped, 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 and I finally dawned upon it. I thought, holy crap, that's it. <laughs> it's exactly what I'm tasting. And then ever since that moment, I, I can pick that flavor out a lot easier now. So um, I find that's, that's how, you know, you got to go through quite a few reviews sometimes. Some of them are pretty funny. <laughs> but, uh, Some are way off. Yeah, I, that's a good strategy. Or, or, it, or the, you know, the adverse is if you're with a group of people, like, talk about it. Well, that's probably even better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Any other ones? I got one. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Carl. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't really taste off flavors or anything in beer. Um, I just tasted beer, good beer, bad beer, uh, until I started home brewing, uh, and that's when I discovered a lot of off flavors. Um, and yeah, through that, I, and I, I honestly think that's because. You know, when you've had a lot of good beer and you're trying lots of beer and then you finally get to take your crack at it, um, you're, you're pretty critical of your own stuff. And uh, what I discovered was I would find, you know, the smaller things. I would really look for them and try and improve on them. And uh, I rarely made a good beer. 
but uh, I definitely became more critical of beer generally that way um, and was able to notice things like, you know what, I probably put too much air into that beer and oxidized it. Uh, and through that, I sort of realized what oxidation was. Um, and, you know, just knowing what mistakes I made and then tasting off flavors, you could sort of link them up together afterwards. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know my first time getting an off flavor was, I won't say what beer it was, but I was drinking it and going, this tastes like buttered popcorn, like something's up here. And I like buttered popcorn, but it just didn't work for the beer. <laughs> and that's one of the most prominent ones I taste, actually, of off flavors. It's just the one I actually catch on more. Yeah, and for me, that's actually still one of the hardest ones for me to pick up is the diacetyl. That's, that's a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. actually is, and I'm I'm fortunate. I'm, I've I've gotten better with it over time. Um, but you know, through all through the training in the beginning, that one was tough for me um, because it is very similar to that caramel, that butterscotch, and that toffee that some malts can actually give off. And the fact that it's actually acceptable in some styles um, and and created on purpose is it's it, it's tricky. Yeah, um, sure. yeah, so, but now I'm at the point where when I, you know, go to the movie, uh, movie theater, I don't want butter on my popcorn because when I'm done that movie, I'm going to go home and I'm going to drink a beer and all I'm going to smell is the popcorn and the butter on it. And it's going to make me think that the beer is just terrible. So it's, it's, you got to get away from that. <laughs> Rubber gloves. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I perceive the texture of that one a little bit more than the flavor. It's the sort of the slippery That slick, slick yeah. feeling, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And it almost comes across a little soapy, but then it, it finishes up with uh, with butter. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if you, you when you get that, that really off one, that really buttery, you're like, yeah, that's just, you know, Doing di diacetyl tests and breweries and things as well. You like you're like, yeah, no, that's nowhere near ready to go. Yeah, I believe it. Ugh. Okay, so um, I guess the other question I had prepared was, um, what sort of what sort of like two or three tips do you have for somebody on on sort of just the hobbyist or the enthusiast level for? Uh, just tips, I guess, uh, for tasting, for building a, a beer collection, for serving. What, what do you think is the most important thing for somebody to know if they're getting into this? Um, I mean, it's really just you're going to get whatever you put into it, I guess. If you really want to appreciate the beer, take the time, um, experiment as well. That's the thing is, you know, um, glassware, temperatures, food pairings, things of that nature, those are the, going to be the things that really make it stand out for you. you know, and sometimes the best revelation you can have is a terrible food pairing. One of those ones where you like that food and you like that beer, but for some reason the two of them just make both of them terrible, and it almost makes it more of a, oh, wow, moment, because you know when things work together, it's beautiful. It's music. It's like, yeah, that's great. I love it. It's so well together. But you you miss the you miss how the chemistry can actually affect each other in a different way. So it's really fun. Just experiment. You know, there's that's what I love about beer. It is an it, it's an experience. Every glass you have is a different experience. It's made by somebody different with a different um, you know outlook. And uh, yeah, just try it as many ways as you can. And you'll see those differences. 
I guess just to touch on that, you mentioned glassware, and I was actually going to bring up glassware because I'm in the camp that glassware is very important. Um, and you just look at places like Belgium where they almost every beer, if not every brewery, has their own specific glass. Um, is it just because of aroma, or what is it that the glasses really do? Um, I mean, aroma is a big part of it, but depending on the style, you, you, it, that's going to play a big role as well. Sessionability, um, you know, you, like a barley wine glass or a Russian Imperial Stout glass, you're not going to want to drink in a 20-ounce pint. Um, and also, you know, having that, that snifter aspect of it, you can help warm it up. You hold on to it. It's a little bit cozier. You know, Pilsner glasses, because Pilsners tend to be a little less less aromatic than ales are or any sort of lagers. That's why they tend to flare out just to push all of that, uh, that aspect out. Hefeweizen glasses, if you really look at them closely, have a little bevel around the edge. So they're, they, they do the little vase and then the, the edge is a little bit beveled as well, kind of going inside the glass so that it just holds onto that head and that foam to create, to just keep that, that texture going for as long as possible. So it does, it does enhance the experience. Um, you know, everything, you know, your taste is, is very subjective to your aroma as well. Yeah. So however you can capture that aroma is, is uh, going to enhance it. Yeah. And then like companies like Spiegelow is the name, I think they do like the IPA glass and they also have a stout glass now that do similar things. Yep. You're able to hold it warm enough if you want, or you can hold it so you're not warming it up. I yeah, I mean, I, I use the, the Spiegelau Belgian glass for almost everything, even though it's probably not suitable. Yeah. Um, I know, I know. Take away my <laughs> card here. Just take everything away. Um, but the, the stout glass, it's amazing the difference it does make when you use it. Uh, I do have those as well. So it's, it's nice. It's got that. It's similar to your IPA glass, Mike, yes. that you're using. Um, but rather than it being this. kind of shapely at the bottom, it's cut right across so you've got the the stem and then it just straight across so you can really hold on to it warm it up swirl it around get a great aroma out of it yeah I, i'm i'm kind of in the camp of like it some people think it matters too much but uh i will say from a functional perspective um most of the glasses when they're designed that way they just like a stout glass like that you can pour a beer with a proper head you know and it and you're right the function of being able to hold it warm it up like those things are, are fantastic um, and i think that's the biggest benefit you get from them um you know you try pouring a saison into a, a pint glass or the wrong glass and it either foams up way too much or you just don't get quite the same you know that there's way too much carbonation going on there right so you need something that's going to actually be able to you know deliver that properly <laughs> so i i'm more of the, the sort of the just pure function thing of the glasses i think uh Sometimes people go a little bit too much in it. You know, you're not going to make an amazing beer that much better, and you're not going to make a shitty beer better. <laughs> you know, you're not going to make a bad beer worse by serving it in a pint glass. Uh, but you know, there is there is a functional aspect to the glassware which can enhance the experience. So I think that's that's the big one for me. So I'm actually gotta... curious. We're talking about glassware, like so. I'm using you know that crappy kind of standard pint glass. Does that do anything? wrong for my beer like am i doing myself a disservice by drinking out of this i mean you kind of are I, in, in the sense if you want if you're if you're asking and you want the honest opinion that the shaker glass that you're using is the standard bar glass it's it's it doesn't do anything for your beer it's not going to make your beer worse obviously uh, unless it's dirty, mm -hmm. unless it's dirty and you haven't cleaned it or whatever um but it's it's definitely the 
minimalist for your beer. It's not going to enhance it in any way. Like, what are you drinking? And in my defense, that was the only thing last today. So I do have other glasses. That was just dishwashing day. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that's fine. It's, 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 again, I mean, like, it's really what you want to put out of get out of it. But, um, you know, having, you don't need to have 20 different glasses for 20 different beers. But having four different styles is definitely going to enhance your experiences when you get to those styles of beers. So, so what should those four be? Like, I'm guessing a tulip style. What else should I be looking at? Um, so I like a, a, like a half glass. So that that vase, uh, a Belgian tulip, sort of like this guy, um, the IPA like Mike has, uh, the stout glass, which is that you know shape, uh, a pils a pilsner or lager glass, something that's flared at the top uh and then maybe even like a wine glass or a snifter of some kind yeah That's... i like using uh glasses for sours oh yeah because uh you really want to warm them up usually right so most of them some you do but yeah I do like... you can hold you go ahead uh, sorry i do like the glass that carnell has for sours a lot that is a yeah. perfect sour glass i i had a couple questions about this glass actually because I was sold this under the pretense that it was the best glass ever for tasting off note, which intrigued me and kind of upset me because, like, oh, all my beer is going to taste not as good now. Um, but is that true? I've never heard that. No, I mean, you got sold, son. Yeah. Um, I don't know why you'd ever want to buy a glass that's going to enhance negativity. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, buy a glass is going to enhance your experience in a positive way, but uh, I do love that style of glass. Absolutely. I, yeah. I love I love that you hate shakers because I hate them so much. Um, but what is this supposed? I mean, it's a beautiful glass. Is what I like about it. It looks nice. You know. So I mean, the with that glass specifically is keep holding it up there. That sh the shape of the bottom of it. How so? When you pour it in, it's going to cause that that cascading and waving effect, which is going to release all your CO2, which is going to push that, that aromatic up. Uh, the way it's, it kind of f closes at the top is going to catch any aroma as well to sort of funnel it up towards you. And the way it flares out at the top is also going to then just push it out again. So you're kind of creating this, this condensing and then reliefing effect. And that little brim around in that center area is going to essentially hug your, 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 your head and keep it, as brisk as it can, depending on the beer, of course, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, an English, an English mild is not really going to do anything for you in that glass. Yeah, I mean, I've got a farmhouse. I've got the um, Four Winds, uh, and uh, I think it's Powell. Is yeah. it? Four Winds. I know, but does it not look like Postmark? Can I can I just it's say that? And like when you see that, that looks like it's a Postmark beer. Totally. It doesn't taste like a postmark beer. No. <laughs> That's weird. Like marketing because yeah. It's it's insane these cans. Like any can, any normal can with a sticker on it, it's it's good beer, which is terrible. Adds adds at least one star, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah. At the least one star improvement on uh untap. Yep. If it came in a four pack, oh that's another star right there. Your door. <laughs> it opens. Another star. Yeah, but yeah, no, um, that's that's why I like the the TQs for the sours. Um, again, I, I the functional piece for me is really the stem too, you know, because you you're not you're not warming it up as you're drinking it, um, so you're gonna get it staying a little bit more consistent temperature, a little cooler, yeah. and uh, you know you can stick your finger out if you want. 
trying to get all fancy. <laughs> well, one thing I will, one thing I will say, and Carl, I'm not picking on you here, but if you hold that up again, um, too, too much, too much beer in there. Yeah, I was gonna. That was my next question. What is the appropriate fill level on one of these things? I know nothing. Well, I, I don't know. You could probably speak to this, Paul, but um, in my younger days, I did get to level one of sommelier, um, and it's it's basically the same rules as the wine glass, is my understanding, where you basically just fill it to when it starts to curve back in. Oh, I don't know. That's just what I learned when I was twenty-one. So need a bigger tiki yeah. glass. Yeah, I mean, I, I would go maybe um, Cornell, your, your Cornell, your glass when you were holding it. Uh, I would go maybe a third of the way up would be. I mean, that's if it depends on if you're just uh, analyzing the beer and you want to taste it or you just want to drink it. I mean, there's a difference. Not volume. Sorry. I mean, if you were if you were going to want to analyze that appropriately and 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 judge it, you 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 can't. Can you swirl that right now? If you wanted to really give it a good swirl, what's going to happen? Do it. I uh, fill on my computer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you want to have enough that you can play around with, and you want to have that headspace to capture aroma, so you can get your nose right in there and really take it in. That's good to know. Good stuff. Yeah, you're almost. I there. think it's one of those things that uh, people forget about the glassware. Is there, for the most part? I mean, again, there, there's the, you know, it ha doesn't have the drinking experience. But if you really want to get the most of the glass, you, you don't always fill it up. <laughs> you know, you really want to truly experience what the glass delivers. Uh, but, but again, that's just when you're out. You just want to enjoy the beer. I mean, I, I'm of the opinion that put it in whatever. You know, I've had plenty of the Yelder in a freaking hotel paper cup. It was great. <laughs> it was fantastic. It tasted just as good as the, the IPA glass to me anyway, you know. Well, a great so, beer is going to taste great no matter what. Right? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, don't don't fret about it. But if you have the glass, I mean, sure, go for it, right? And yeah. Enjoy it. and can, I, can I just be that guy for a second and just say that um, uh, there's the, there's the functionality, there's the aromas, there's the flavor. But sometimes I actually just want my beer to look pretty. Like I just mm. want it to look good in the glass. Yeah. And I don't I don't see anything wrong with that. But there's nothing wrong. With cheers that. to that. No, that that was the point that I was gonna make because there is this whole presentation portion of it and. You know, when I was super young and working in working in a kitchen as a prep chef and the and the sous chef, um, you know, the chef would always say, "Your eyes eat it first. and it's it's true. You know, it, it changes your perception um, of how it looks. Like if something looks beautiful, you're going to experience it in a more positive light. Yeah, the whole psychology around it. And so, you know, I like great glassware when I'm out for dinner, and you know, I'm or if I'm ordering a beer from a craft beer bar and your thing is craft beer and it's on your menu and it's wherever, um, you know, if you're serving the beer to me in a shoe, I'm probably going to complain. But well, if I'm at home shoe. and that's all I have, you know, that's as good as I'm going to get. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, who's mastered that is uh, Guinness. No, everything from the pour right down to the glass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's all, it's all, it, you know, it's a huge marketing side, which, you know, being yeah. a marketer, I'm super interested in, but um, it's, I think, I don't know, I'm conflicted because part of me and my whole philosophy behind my blogging is the vessel doesn't matter, uh, you know, the beer doesn't matter. If you're enjoying it, awesome, that's great, you know, 
Um, but then there's a part of me that has this whole nerdy appreciation for the industry and, you know, what makes a great beer and, you know, based on the situation, it's better and you want the best possible opportunity for that beer to showcase itself. So, you know, it's situationalization, which is a word I just made up and I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> Sounds good to me. I like fake shit. words. <laughs> I don't think that's a word. <laughs> there goes Carnell again. Yeah, what I would really love to know is uh, you mentioned your Epiphany beers uh, earlier, and uh, I'd love to know what some of those Epiphany beers were for you. Um, I mean, the, the broad spectrum, um, you know, the Belgian, the traditional Belgian trapeze ales were the big ones for me, just big and flavorful. Um, some, you know, the Chimes, of course, you have to have those, the Duvels, they, they come through, they're big and they're beautiful. Um, but locally, you know, for me was the, the craft beer side. Uh, the first one I, I remember was actually probably the old Yale Sasquatch Stout. Okay. I still love that beer. Um, just super all that coffee on it, just the, for me, it was just one of those, one of those beers that I just will always remember. Um, anything from Breakside, yeah. really, like <clears throat> you, you can't go wrong. Um, the brewery, uh, I, I'm constantly having new epiphany beers all the time, which is what I love about this is that every, you know, you get that beer every once in a while that just blows you away. Mm -hmm. And it reminds you why you, you plan your alcoholism two years in advance by cellar ring stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's really a beautiful thing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Actually, that was, that was one question I had is, um, is cellar ring worthwhile? Because I've been experimenting a little bit. I haven't, I haven't done much. And I had somebody recently tell me that, you know, it doesn't really add anything that's not already present in a beer. So what's your take on cellar ring? Um, it, it definitely is kind of a bit of an art in the sense of, of, what you choose. Um, certain beers are definitely designed for it. Certain things are not. I'm still learning that myself because, you know, I've got beers I've had for a couple of years that I still haven't tried. Um, yeah, it definitely makes a difference in my opinion, especially on those, you know, 13% beers that come out. Um, they need a little time to settle. They're still quite rough around the edges. Um, I, you know, it's going back to kind of the epiphany things, uh, main street, the stag and pheasant, you know, mm. a, couple, the couple, a couple of years ago, I had that one and I was just like, wow. And it, you know, it took me an hour and a half to drink the beer because it was just so intense and so beautiful, but it was still pretty, pretty heavy and, and, and sharp. Um, so I went out immediately, got another one, put it down in the cellar for a year. And when I had that after a year, the difference was astronomical. Yeah. It had just softened up quite a bit. It had gotten very smooth and mellow. The flavors were all still as beautiful as they were. They just weren't as as harsh. Um, and I think the best way to do it, in my opinion, to experiment with it is to get a six-pack of Herminator when it comes out. Um, and that's a six-pack. So you put it away. You have one every two months. You have one every two months that lasts you an entire year and you make notes of it every time you have it and you'll just watch the difference of how it progresses and, and melts and softens. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Or get two and have it for two years. <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 you know, or get two six packs and do one a month. Um, but I, I don't know if the, the one a month is going to be really that much of a difference, but every couple of months you'll see the difference. And that is, that's enough to start you off to, to see that that representation of how it might be. 
for sure. And is there is there a rule of thumb for a beer that's going to be good to seller and a beer that's not going to be good to seller? Like, is there something that I can kind of go by there? Or is it just kind of like experiment and see what works? Uh, I mean, generally anything like with a high ABV is going to be pretty good for a while. Um, you know, in that 9% range, uh, anything with a, a wild yeast or some bacteria in it is going to usually do better. Um, you know, things like Britannomyces takes a full year before those flavors really develop um, naturally. So you, you definitely want to experiment with those times. And um, But yeah, sours, funky beers, um, high ABV beers usually do quite well. Yeah, I, uh, I sell quite a bit of beer and uh, my, my kind of general rule now is try it fresh. Um, and if it's in any way a little bit unbalanced, something's really harsh, is a really good candidate for celery. Or secondly, just you know, looking at the beer, the ingredients, and, and the alcohol level, and just thinking about look, what do you think it's going to do? Right? Could it could it be could it benefit from getting a little bit more sour? If it's a Brett beer, do you want it to be drier and funkier? Um, and explode when you open it if you sell it for too long. <laughs> that happens. Um, so you just think about think about what the flavors, you know, because generally when you sell it, you, don't you mentioned it, uh, Paul, they, they smooth out, they mellow, um, they blend in. Some of them after a long period of time will will oxidize and turn into leather and sherry uh, versus cardboard. Some will turn into cardboard. Um, so you got to kind of be careful with that. And, and you, you also have to set the expectation that when you do it, you're you're gonna lose a bit of beer. I lost an entire case to an infection that developed over time. Um, Hundred seventy dollar case of beer that sucked. The the beer the, the company was very nice and sent me something else. Uh, but uh, you know, I've had other ones that you just steal. You, know, you open it and it's just garbage. So it's a learning experience, and I, I don't recommend selling really expensive bottles for very long. <laughs> At least try it fresh, so you know and. Uh, you know, in most cases, the beer is going to be pretty good at that point. But if you really want to try around and experiment, yeah, just go for it. And, uh, you know, don't don't sell our IPAs. <laughs> the only one I've found does not ever benefit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just ask Mike, right? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> you know. Well, well, these days, the stores do a good enough job of selling your IPAs for you. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's um, it also take into consideration is the time that the beer's already been aged before it's been bottled. You know, there are some beers out there that have already been in a barrel for a year or two years or 18 months or whatever it might be. It's probably good to go as it is. It might not get any better. Um, yeah. It's, you know, I like the rule of thumb that I like to use is buy two. Drink one now, seller one. What's the worst that can happen? Even if the one that you sell her turns out to be crap, at least you got one good one. And if it's so good, just buy an extra one. Mm -hmm. All right, I think we can probably wrap it up a little bit. Why don't we just uh, go through what we're drinking quickly? Start at Mike. Who's ready? I'm ready. Yeah, what are you drinking there? Um, Persephone's Best Bitter. Nice. I love Persephone. I love bitters. What could go wrong? It's actually, you know, it's a good, good beer. It's got to be the best. What's that? It's got to be the best. Yeah, no. It's, it's a decent bitter. You know, if, if people that are into bitters, um, um, are probably hard-pressed to find a good example of a bitter or best bitter around. Very few people do it. I think this one's 
pretty darn close to style. Here's your way too bitter. If you've tasted a bitter in like an English pub, you you know you know what it should taste like. And so trying to find that replicated on this side of the pond, as they say. You gotta go to Callister. Yeah. <laughs> Are you Carno? Yeah, I went through a couple things. Uh, it was interesting talking about last moment uh, IPA sitting on the shelf a little too long. It's my second time drinking the uh, Melvin 2x4. I really sought it out. First time, accidentally got a six-month-old can, and it was shot. This is two and a half. I grabbed it in Bellingham. Great. Amazing. Um, the other one I got a hold of was the American Farmhouse. That's what I'm working on now. Um, it's delicious. Um, it's what I would be looking for in American Farmhouse IPA. It makes sense to me. And uh, I've had the two of these... And I've just realized what their ABV is, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and that, yeah, they're good. They taste good. They taste good. And what about you, Jesse? Uh, sorry, I had my meat stuck. Um, I don't know if you can see that I have the um, Idaho 7 Sour from Powell Street. Uh, kind of crappy. I forgot that I had this beer. It was in the back of my fridge. So IPAs, not so great a couple months afterwards. It still has, like I'm looking, it has um, says notes of um, apricot, kiwi, and herbal. And that's that's there in the sour, but I think it would have been really good when I first bought it. So don't hide them in the back of your fridge. Yeah, that's, like kettle, that's like kettle sour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, those those tend not to age very well either. They just turn into no. vinegar. Yeah. No, it is sour. I like sour. It's good, but yeah, I really, I it was probably a really beautiful beer a couple months ago. So makes sense. What about you, Paul? Oh, you jumped way way across. Uh, I have the the double secret probation, the collaboration from Bomber and Coast Mountain. It's a uh, doppel sticker alt. Yes. 8.6%, uh, nice and malty. Yeah, I was a big and fan of that one. What's that? Big fan of that one. Yeah, it turned out really good, and uh, well, yeah, it's 8.5%, so that's not bad either. <laughs> not at all. How about you, Steve? Uh, so I've, I've done two so far. I've got the BNA Brewing Earl Pale Ale, so it's uh, Earl Grey Infused Pale Ale from Kelowna. Uh, the... In bottle, it's pretty good. If you can get it from the brewery you know, in a growler, it's amazing. Uh, and then earlier tonight, I was drinking the Steel and Oak Dark Lager. And just as a quick shout out, uh, these things are amazing. Yes, they are. <laughs> so that's the Growler Works uh, pressurized growler. How about you, Terry? Um, I'm not drinking anything, but I'll, I'll give a pretend. Singularity, uh, <laughs> shout out there, 2017. Yeah, no, I got stuff to do later tonight, so uh, makes sense. I'm yeah. dry for the moment. <laughs> wow. All right. Um, I guess I'm last here. I'm having the Broadside India Pale Ale from Torchlight Brewing in Nelson. Um, it's not available in Vancouver right now, but from what I understand, it actually is available in the Okanagan now, in some of the liquor stores in Penticton and Kelowna. And some of the pubs as well. So they're expanding, which is really nice. And they got a new brewery in the works currently. 
Um, yeah, um, one of the guys in Cameras of Okanagan, he does their, um, I guess, marketing locally, and he's bringing a bunch of their stuff in, and really, really a huge fan of Torchlight, so I've been seeing and hearing a lot about their beer recently, and it's it's really good, yeah. Agreed. All right, um, I guess we'll wrap up this episode. Um, I'd like to thank Paul for joining us. Uh, check out his website at drinksmarter.ca. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.